Welcome to the My Why Podcast, where educational storytellers Jesse Mann and Kristen Travers discuss identity-defining moments with special guests. Inspiration ensues. All right. Hello, everybody. We hope that you are crushing it on your treadmill or cruising safely to some sort of a cool destination. We're very excited for our kind of our first official podcast. And I get to interview one of my favorite people on the whole planet and my uh, counterpart with my wife. So Kristen, you get to be the interviewee today. Yes. Kind of exciting and kind of nerve wracking. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit weird. Yeah, I um, like to interview other people. Well, we're so, uh, we love presenting with each other, but we don't often sit like across the table from each other and do sort of a more formal discussion. So, right. So we wanted to sit down and when we're asking people to be vulnerable and share their stories, we obviously know and recognize that um, we you know, need to do the same if we're going to expect other people to come and do that. And we're nervous today because we have to do that. So it just gives us a little bit of insight to know that our, uh, our guests probably get a little bit nervous to share their vulnerability too. So yes. 100%. So Okay, guys, uh, Kristen has an incredible story. If you know anything about Kristen, uh, you probably know bits and pieces, or if you've heard her talk, you maybe know a little bit more. But here's an opportunity to hear how um, there's a really great video on our website, and it's um, by TELUS, and it's A Stroke Could Not Silence This Hero. And it goes into a little bit of uh, what 2015 looked like for Kristen and her family. So in 2015, uh, Kristen survived, and I choose that word very wisely because She really survived the stroke. She didn't suffer from it, but it was a cryptogenic stroke. And uh, Kristen spent a month in acute care in Edmonton with her amazing husband, Craig. Hello, Craig. We know you're listening. And uh, her sister by her side. Uh, Her two boys stayed with in-laws. And um, yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about how the stroke really um, gave her uh, a voice. Like she said, she really found her voice after her stroke and and the stroke took away her voice and her ability to read and and write. So, Kristen, 2015, walk us through your drive to work. Okay, so um, literally I was driving to work. Um, So I was on the highway. Uh, I live about 20 minutes uh, outside of work and I was a nurse. I still am a nurse, but I... um, was driving on the highway and it was about 5.30 in the morning. Nurses work very, very early. And um, yeah, all of a sudden, like a wave of confusion kind of washed over me and it was like in a blink of an eye, I forgot how to drive. And my foot just kind of, it was like I kept, um, it was like a, a lead um, kind of, yeah, your foot was like lead. It just kept pushing down, yeah. pushing down, and, and the speed was increasing. Yeah, so I was driving about, you know, 120 on the highway, and all of a sudden, I looked at the speedometer, and it was 120, 130, 140, 150, 160, 170, and, um, you know, my next thought was like, oh, geez, I, you know, obviously I need to slow down, but um, I couldn't figure out how to slow down. I couldn't figure out even how to set the cruise control. Like it was in a blink of an eye, I, I completely forgot how to drive. Um, but luckily, um, no one was on the highway. Um, I kept it going in a straight line, kept my vehicle going in a straight line. And, and um, 
someone was watching me watching over me that day because I didn't get in an accident I didn't um you know run into anyone I you know blew stop signs and and stop lights when I finally got into town but um, I eventually made my way to the hospital. I don't really know how to turn. I don't really remember turning. I don't really remember slowing down. I don't really remember parking. Do you remember when you were going through, because anybody who lives in Lloyd knows that you don't ever hit the lights just right. Do you remember kind of flying through those yes. lights and, and feeling fear of, I, I want to no. stop or no, no fear? Well, no fear. I like, I think at that time I was literally having a stroke. So brain cells were dying. And it was kind of like an out-of-body experience. So I remember thinking like, well, that was bad. <laughs> like, but it wasn't, um, it wasn't like, oh, crap. Like, it wasn't, um, oh, shit. I, sorry, I don't know. <laughs> I guess this is our podcast. We so we can do we whatever want. we want. Um, but it, was, it wasn't fear. Um, it was completely, like, I, I think brain cells were completely dying. So I didn't have that emotional response where I should have probably had that. Um, it was such an out-of-body experience. It was like a c- complete trip. Right. So you pull up, you're on the curb, you leave the door open, and you head into work. Yeah. And so when you work in the hospital, um, there's always people coming in and going. And so someone actually opened the door for me. So I don't, I didn't have to open the door. I didn't have to use my keypad. I didn't have to use all of that kind of stuff. And so I just walked up to the unit um, so my legs could still move. Um, I didn't have hemiparesis, which sometimes... So hemiparesis is is um, when you're, when half of your body is paralyzed, which usually strokes... Um, One of those signs of a stroke, right? Can you lift your arms? Exactly. So I didn't have that. Um, so when I got to the unit, because in my you know disillusioned brain, I thought, well, let's just go to work. And so when I got to my unit, um, a coworker said, hello. And that was the first time I had attempted to speak. And um, as much as I tried to say hello back or even say something is wrong or whatever, um, nothing came out. And so then that's kind of when I realized, like, something is not right. And um, I still did not want to go to Emerge. I still did not want to do... Nurses don't want to go to Emerge. No. And uh, it was my manager that literally dragged me to Emerge. She just kind of, like, put her arm around me and, and... you know, sent me down to emerge. And when I got down to emerge, um, everyone kind of knew me. And so they obviously knew something was wrong. And I, like I said, like you said, I never go to emerge. And um, the nurse at triage really recognized that this is probably something. I think she recognized immediately that this was a stroke. And I went back to um, the trauma room and you know, uh, had everything hooked up to me that I had, you know, usually hooked up to everyone and everything else. And, um, yeah, so there was the, the doctor actually that didn't think that it was a stroke. Um, didn't think that something like they originally misdiagnosed with a migraine. So I sat in the trauma bed for about six hours. In Lloydminster still at this point. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I mean, it is what it is. And so I kind of got worse and worse and worse and um, worse and worse, meaning like you're, you obviously can't speak. You're not, you're not feeling well, well I, or, um, I, I felt okay, but, um, I couldn't speak. I couldn't, I didn't know what I didn't know. I didn't know how bad it was until it was actually my sister that came. She's also a nurse and, um, she, she, 
came up to me and she realized that I was just smiling and nodding at everything. And um, she asked me, I can't remember what she asked me, but she asked me something and she wrote um, two boxes on a paper and she said, just check yes and no, yes or no. And she asked me like a very kind of arbitrary question and, and says, okay, say, said, okay, if it's yes, check this, you know, and she handed me a pen and I didn't even know what a pen was for. And so that was like, okay, like what should I do with this? And then I kind of, it took me a while and I was like, oh yeah, this is what a pen is for. And so I put that pen to a paper, to the paper And then I looked at those words and those words meant nothing to me. Like it it looked like nonsense. And so it was then that I kind of realized that I lost the ability to speak, lost the ability to read, write, to do anything. Um, And so it was kind of then that um, it kind of set the wheels in motion. So um, eventually I got transferred to U of A and eventually I got... um, or eventually I got an MRI and and diagnosed with a, a pretty severe stroke. Right. And so without your sisters or without your sister there kind of serving as that advocate for you and knowing you and kind of applying her knowledge and knowing you, would you have ended up in Edmonton, do you think? Yeah, I think eventually, like I, I think eventually they would have realized that I could not do that. Right. I couldn't or they speak. couldn't answer I couldn't, it, so yeah, exactly. the city, they may be yeah. able to figure it out. Um, but, I mean, it wouldn't have been so rushed. Um, but, yeah, you definitely kind of need an advocate, for sure. And so when you, obviously, when you have a stroke, you have, and if you recognize the signs, and we have all of the signs and that kind of thing on the website, too, so check that out and um, get to know FAST. And uh, if you have... Uh, if you if you know you're having a stroke or somebody you know is having a stroke and you get to the hospital and they recognize it, you can actually have that. There's a medication that you can yeah, have. Yeah, so that... it's called a TP. It's TPA. Um, so if you're having an ischemic stroke, so there's two types of strokes. Um, so one is an ischemic, so one is a clot that finds its way into your brain. Um, so that's when you can have the medication. The other type is is a hemorrhagic stroke, so it's a brain bleed. So you can't have um, that medication. Uh, TPA is uh, essentially a clot buster. And so if you get it within 30 minutes, it kind of negates those symptoms. Um, and it really, really does well with the recovery and, and helps you recover faster. Um, with hemorrhagic stroke is definitely is, is life threatening stroke. So either way, you've got to get to the hospital as fast as you can and call 911. Don't just you know, show up. Don't just drive yourself. Right. <laughs> Don't and do what so, I do. Yeah. Obviously, you with being misdiagnosed kind of in the beginning, you did not get that uh, no, medication. Didn't. And ultimately, it resulted in, like I know you've uh, said before, it was a golf ball sized hole in your brain. Yeah. So I, you know, I had that stroke um, or I had like an ischemic stroke. So essentially a clot that found its way up to my brain. And, and when that happens, you don't have oxygen up to your brain. And when you don't have oxygen, tissues die. And so when I didn't have that oxygen flowing through, it just, you know, I had a lot of brain damage. Um, so that brain damage happened in my Broca's area, which is essentially responsible for speech and 
writing and communication and math and all of that kind of stuff that is essential for you know being human mm-hmm. well and those of you guys that don't know Kristen like I would say prior to knowing you I was ignorant to a lot um, of the realities of stroke uh, heart disease and stroke and uh, those people that don't know you, what were you doing the day before? Um, actually, I was training for a half marathon. Uh, so I think I ran about 13 kilometers the day before I had the stroke. Um, so I was really, really healthy, I thought, you know, and I, you know, I ran a lot. I am a vegetarian. I am really, really conscious about health. So it can happen to anyone. Women are very misrepresented and very, um, underdiagnosed for heart disease and stroke so that's my two cents right and and something else too Kristen was a mom of two when this happened and so so what was that like yeah so I had a one-year-old and a four-year-old three and a half year old at the time so like it was obviously very hard like you know you take for granted those times that you can read um, your kids stories and you know, tell them that you love them. And um, I immediately thought of all of the times that, you know, that I wasn't, you know, that I was short with them or that I said, no, I can't read you stories or, you know, that I, I maybe didn't prioritize my life in the way that I should have. Um, so I immediately thought of how, how I should have maybe done things a little bit different before. Right. And I mean, mom guilt. I mean, I'm going to say, yeah, I've said it before. It's mom guilt. Yeah. Um, but life happens and it is what it is. But, um, now I definitely try to make those, you know, I, I vowed that if I was going to get my voice back or if I was going to communicate again, that I was going to make those times more special right and Kristen and I you know down the road you'll hear more about us talking about that because through our different health struggles and those life-changing moments that we've had there's a balance because those happen and then you think well I'm going to do everything I am going to be the best mom and the best wife and I'm never going to get short and I'm always going to you know say yes to all of these things but we've we've learned that the hard way the hard way the last couple years too Life so. happens, and then you kind of forget, and then something else happens, and it kind of remember you remember that. Oh yeah, I I thought I learned that lesson. Right. So Kristen had a, f- a couple quotes, and we'll share different quotes throughout uh, the podcast too. But one of her uh, favorite quotes is: "There are two ways to live your life. One as though nothing is a miracle, and the other is though everything is a miracle." Yeah. Yeah. So that, I think, um, I love that quote because I think, like, you can believe that everything happens. And I don't really like the adage of everything happens for a reason because I am a nurse and I have seen a lot of difficult situations happen and I don't think that they happen for a reason sometimes. Like, I think that brings on a lot of guilt and I think that brings on a lot of um, feelings of what did I do to bring this on myself? Um, because I, I used to work in hemodialysis. So that's when your kidneys fail and um, you're at the end of your life and or waiting for a transplant or whatever. Um, and you see a lot of people suffer f- with a lot of pain and a lot of um, chronic illnesses. And and they're some of the nicest, kindest people. And do you? I don't know if that happens for a reason. However, you can kind of see 
what you can make of this situation, right? And so I think that kind of, that quote is a reminder of like, there's some wonderful things that happen. There's some wonderful things that come out of these weird, awful situations. Um, For me, like I, this stroke has kind of been a gift and all of these kind of health struggles have been a gift. Sometimes they're crappy and sometimes they're awful and I sometimes forget that. Um, But when I regained my ability to speak, I only speak about things that I like or I only speak about things that matter for me and I kind of choose to live more of a meaningful life rather than just a life that serves really no purpose. Does that make sense? Yeah, it absolutely does. Um, So people, I think, that don't know you don't maybe recognize the how hard it was to relearn. Like you actually had to relearn to speak, relearn to write, relearn math. Like I I actually sat down and watched you learning math to do some of those like competency tests so that you could get back to work and and how um, it's not like all of a sudden you healed up and that the world healed. (laughs) You're back speaking. And we we joke that we're doing this podcast and I like to just ramble and go on tangents. It's probably not best that I'm doing a podcast and Kristen has a communication disorder. And so we're we're like this, I don't know, patched together podcast crew. But you really feel as though you found your voice through the stroke. And I know that that was a lot of hard work. So share a little bit about that. Well, yeah, like, I mean, and I still struggle with speaking, like I, and sometimes like I try to find jobs with communication, like, I don't know, sometimes I find jobs that I'm like trying to be a leader and whatever, and I was like, it's all communications, and I was like, why do I do this? Um, But yeah, I like literally had to learn what of is for, and what the, and like all of these words that connect a sentence there's not a tangible thing that you can find or the tangible thing that you can look at and say that is a cup. So like it's having to find those little things and fit them into a sentence and and make sure that your brain is is organizing itself in a way that makes sense. And um, when you have, you know, broke as aphasia, which is what I had and still have, I guess, um, language doesn't make sense. And so I could understand a lot of things, but to put it into context or to say things, um, you want to say things, but when it comes out, it's completely different. And so like Jesse can attest to this, but like when I want to say, you know, the cup is white, sometimes I completely sounds wrong right like you you know what I mean when I I jump in and I can't yeah Jesse and I are like really good team because Jesse loves to talk and I really don't like it because I mean it doesn't make sense sometimes and I like I don't understand why like I mean I understand logically why it doesn't make sense but it's just like a disconnect um which is why like the pathways in my brain have just been completely severed so I just had to create new pathways but it's like very very challenging to relearn that stuff and it's always kind of relearning like there's so many things that I didn't know existed again mm-hmm. you know and you were using tech programs you were obviously reading yeah. probably reading the boys books like yeah going thinking through, out like, of the box and right like the first time that I tried to read um I told Craig to get me a medical journal <laughs> <laughs> and I mean like in my head I could still recite all of the stuff 
Um, like I tried the first sentence that I wanted to say is like, I think potassium is 3.2, like a whole bunch of medical jargon. Mm -hmm. Um, but I obviously can't, I could not say anything. I could barely say the, or I could barely say cup or whatever. Um, but then I had to, you know, go way back and then start to read like children's books. Right. And And you mentioned, um, that when you first wrote and you were first, I guess, writing, you spelled Randy's name wrong. Oh, was it Caleb's name wrong? Both of them. Both of them. Yeah, like I couldn't figure out, like I lost all the vowels. Mm-hmm. Like, it, yeah, it's, um, brochusophagia is very, like you can only speak in nouns. So any of the things that connect words or vowels or right. all of that kind of stuff gets completely... You were just person, place, thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So any of the nuances of language, which I love, like right. before the stroke, I was very, I, I thought I was very articulate and I like, I love poetry. I love language. Mm-hmm. I love all of that kind of stuff. And so when I, you know, had the stroke, that was all went away. Mm-hmm. And so it was very like point blank, you know, the cup is white. Right. And even that was a big sentence for me to say. Right. So I know we've talked a little bit about this and, and you haven't necessarily, we never have time when we're presenting formally to talk about just the social anxiety that goes with, okay, oh, I've yeah. had this stroke, I'm back, I want to go to everything, I want to be a part of everything, but then you have right. to walk into the hockey rink. Right. And then people say certain things and then people just don't get it. Yeah. yeah. I think it's a hidden disability. Like, I mean, obviously I looked fine. Um the thing that I got most was like, oh, you look so great because people were expecting me to look awful or expecting me to be in a wheelchair or expecting me to, you know, have some kind of physical disability. But when you have something that's hidden, people don't understand it. Mm-hmm. And so I had lots of people come up to me and want to, you know, and they're so well-meaning and so kind. And um, so they, you know, wanted to kind of come and say, hey, how are you? But when you can't talk, and that's, I mean, the first six months to a year, I really struggled with having a conversation, and I was so tired. So the first, you know, three sentences, I was good. Mm -hmm. Like, hey, how are you? I could say, good, how are you? But then that was pretty much it. And so the first, you know, couple months after I got home was very exhausting. And so it was just, and then people look at you like you're, or I thought people looked at me like I was stupid or like I didn't know anything or like I you know, had a massive brain injury, which I did, but I didn't have any intellectual problems, mm-hmm. which broke as aphasia or aphasia. That I think is the biggest misconception. Like people thought that I was cognitively impaired when I wasn't. Right. Yeah. Unbelievable. And, and I think like the, the piece that you mentioned there so many people are hiding different things. So one is the social anxiety, but the, the hiding piece, um, I'm still stuck on that because mental illness, right? Right. You can be put together. Stroke, you can be put together. There's so many different things that people are facing every day when they wake up and um, the or- people wouldn't necessarily know that. So, uh, you know, we got to be kind to each other. Well, I think it's brought, like, I think I was always compassionate and kind or I tried to be but now it's kind of brought this whole new level of understanding of like everyone's facing a battle and everyone has like and I think too like everyone and I I don't care who you are has something that they're struggling with right and so it's definitely like now I can approach 
anyone and say like, how are you today? Right. Um, and know that they, there's some underlining thing that they're struggling with and it makes, I think we're all connected is what I'm trying to say. Right. Uh, One of those things I love about, uh, Laura Lee Marin. So Laura Lee will probably be listening this year. (laughs) Um, one of our greatest supporters, but Laura Lee really taught me, you know, and, and she's so good. She's the, you know, one of those people that I think sets us both straight now. And she says, you know, how are you doing? Like, oh, good, 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 right? And we're so, um, like, we fall into that trap of just those quick, casual conversations of, hey, how are you? Good, good, you, good, yeah, and we keep going. But there's a time and a place with people that, you know, we know on a deeper level to say, how are you, how are you doing? And notice maybe that they're not so good and say, no, like, how are you really? Right. You know, and hang on a second. Like, how are you really? And stop and, and really, yeah, just say that uh, it just says that you're there for them and, and that... You know, you're that place where you could say, well, actually, I'm not that great today. I'm having an awful day. And um, it can even just be still a quick conversation that's just genuine about like, yeah, I'm struggling right now. Well, and today, like we have never had so many ways to communicate. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't take long to take a text, like to make a text. Right. Or to send a text and say like, hey, how are you? Or whatever, right? Like there's so many ways to communicate. But I think in society, we feel very, very alone Mm -hmm. you know yeah and so obviously the stroke you get past the stroke and 2015 was this crazy year but it's not like your health struggles (laughs) like I don't even really know where to go like people probably don't know that a was it a year about a year ago now it's almost a year ago yeah like I mean you've had heart surgery you almost lost your leg yeah it's been quite a ride for sure so what is, how do you get past all that stuff? How do you get through it? I honestly, we just roll with it. Um, so yeah, like a year, a year after the stroke, I had quite massive seizures, which kind of erased a lot of learning. Um, that was a hard thing to swallow. Like you get all, so I think I'm learning to be okay at not being okay. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, so I think, so when I was younger, like maybe 15, 14, 13, I guess I was not super, I thought I was not very smart. So when I, you know, graduated and whatever, I wanted to be the most intelligent person out there. And so when I found nursing, like that was my niche. And so anatomy, physiology, all of that kind of stuff. Like I, I loved it. So I excelled at it. Your comfort zone too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So I excelled at it, you know, graduated with distinction, um, 90 and below was, was not enough for me. And so I based my identity on being very intellectual. The smartest person in the room kind of. Trying to be. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and so when I had the stroke, it was like it erased all of that. And I still could have, like I had it, but I couldn't express it. So what's mm-hmm. the point? Which, I mean, that's a silly way to look at it. But um, so, yeah, I could not express it. So my identity went like, I don't know, out. Like it just went. Um, so I thought that, yeah, it was like relearning who I was, you know, and who are you now that you don't get to walk through the door and 
practice everything that you're so good at. Yeah, and not knowing how to help people. That, I think, it was the biggest thing. And I now you had to help yourself. Oh, God, and I'm so bad at that. Yeah, that's even, like, my whole mental health or whatever. Like, just, like, constantly having other people help me with my health issues. That's been a big learning thing, big learning curve for sure. And so, yeah, when I have all of these, you know, health scares. Um, so I, anyways, back to the 2016 seizures. So I erased, it erased a lot of learning. Well, and you had to share with them how many seizures in a... Oh God, it was it, like 36 seizures in 24 hours. Yeah. But it was, yeah, it was a long, anyways. Um, so I completely forgot that whole week. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I haven't had any since. So I think it's, it's fine now. But it was like I was getting back to that stage of going back to work, um, cleared for a lot of stuff. We're going to get another neuropsych test. It's going to be like I was smart again Mm -hmm. or trying to be smart again. But I didn't necessarily learn a lot of other things. Mm -hmm. Like I don't know if I learned how to be okay with not being okay. I don't know if I necessarily learned who I was without my intelligence. And so that I think I needed to learn some stuff. Um, and so seizures hit, um, I had to recover a lot. And so it pretty much set me back a year. And then 2018, I had heart surgery. Um, so that was just to close a hole in my heart. It didn't necessarily cause a stroke, but, um, if I prevent them, could prevent them. Yeah. And so that I didn't recover very well from. Um, so it sent me into a lot of atrial just irregular heartbeats and um, lots of nerve damage from when they um, opened me up and whatever just is what it is and didn't recover very well and what else did I have your leg oh yeah almost (laughs) lost your leg yeah and then I had septic shock in in March last year so we talk lots about who are we now that everything has changed so I think 2015 you know, who are you now that you can't walk through the door and be the nurse? And and it's like, I think we're both guilty of this. <laughs> Stop me if you're wrong. But we're both guilty of, okay, we know exactly what we want to do now. We, we know what, we, um, what our priorities are, but we do fall into getting too busy. We do mm-hmm. fall into not looking after our mental health. We do fall into, you know, making those mistakes that we made before, even though we've learned the lesson. And it's kind of like it just life keeps kind of throwing that at us. Yeah. These, you know, reminders of, hey, like we've already taught you this. So I think that that a part of it, I know you certainly do this for me. And there's so many people that do this for me that just know me well enough to remind me, hey, you need to take some time. You know, how are you really, you know, things like that. So what are some other things that you think you do to really get back on track? Um, I think because I have these most amazing boys, um, I can't let myself fall off track very often. Um, they remind me quite often. Um, I think to like, obviously life happens for me. Like I feel like Jesse and I have always talked, we always talk about we're the canaries in the coal mines. Mm-hmm. Like I have an autoimmune issue. Um, Jesse has one yeah. as well. Um, so the moment I find myself slipping, life happens and it happens hard. Or physically. And what I think physically. what Kristen's meaning is the life happens for us is if we don't look after ourselves mentally yeah. and we don't take time to rest, 
our physical, like our bodies tell us. Yes. Like I just fiercely. had pneumonia in, yeah. on, at Christmas. Like it just like it hit me hard. So I do feel like if I don't, like everyone else has some leeway, but I don't have a lot of leeway, which is fine. I mean, I just, I need to recognize that in myself. Um, but I do have like lots of, I have to do self-care, which I mean, self-care for me is not spa days or whatever. I joke that my spa days is like I end up in the hospital. That's right. <laughs> like, yeah. that's my spa days. Um, but yeah, I do have to do a lot of self-care and self-reflection and see what I'm feeling and all right. that kind of stuff. Then physical exercise is, is big for you. Yeah. Eating really well is big for yeah. you. Um, taking time to slow down and stay at home as a family is mm-hmm. something that's big for you guys because you are such a busy family and you are that like, well, we want to do everything. We don't say no to things. Yes. But... I mean, you guys are, I think... Finding that balance. Right, finding that balance. Another quote you shared with us is, when you talk, you only repeat what you already know, but when you listen, you may learn something new, and that's by the Dalai Lama. The the first quote that Kristen shared with us was that, actually an Einstein quote, I think, but this Dalai Lama, so when you listen, you may learn something new. Yeah, so that... Um, so I actually read that the day before I had the stroke. And so when I was, you know, in the hospital not being able to talk. So the first three days I could not say a word. Um, so not even make a sound. And so that was a reminder to me for, to actually like listen. And it was, um, I looked at that experience as like the ultimate lesson in compassion and empathy and what it's like to be a patient and what it's like to just listen and, um, soak everything in right. I think well and, and some of that listening when we go back to the hospital and it's always I, I always make Kristen tell this story because you know she's she shared about the you know that nursing is and Kristen really isn't just uh, and I mean you know you've all maybe encountered people who are nurses and people who are nurses at the core of who they are so you were a nurse at the core of who you are and you were that perfectionist and you you are like that to a T. When I was in the hospital, you were the best nurse they had and you were off the clock. Uh, yeah, I, wasn't, I wasn't nursing at right. the time. But. So you're sitting there, you cannot speak and some of those conversations people had about you when you were in the room about how you may not return to a meaningful life and you know they're telling and saying different things that you probably recognize that's not necessarily what I really need. That for me is is the scariest thing. Like take away my voice, right? Take away my voice, and I would just be out of sorts. Right. What was that like for you? Well, and I think it was kind of an eye opener. So yes, so I could not speak, and so when people can't communicate, some other people, like healthcare professionals, think you're not there, and so they talk around you, they talk about you, they don't necessarily talk to you, and so. I think people limit you. Um, so that is a big eye-opener. There's so many people that just put limitations on you and themselves. Mm-hmm. And so I only speak from possibilities now. Um, so I think that's... I do not want to limit myself. And I do not want to limit my kids. And I do not want to limit anyone else. Um, yeah, that was, a, that was a heartbreaking thing. Because like those nurses and those you know healthcare professionals, um, they're my family. They're Even your though colleagues, they're, they're my your colleagues, friends. They're, and honestly, they don't. They didn't know me. I didn't know them. They I was you know at a hospital that I didn't work at for many many years. And um, but 
I couldn't speak and I, I wanted my family um, to know that everything was going to be okay. And even if I couldn't speak, like I could go on to live a meaningful life at, you know, some stage or whatever. But um, I wanted my other family to, to speak for me right. and to comfort them and to do a lot of other things that I couldn't do at that time. Um, so yeah, it was a heartbreaking experience for sure. So I'm the queen of put my foot in, in my mouth. I'm the queen of like being awkward sometimes. And so I guess I feel like, I mean, I feel for you in that because I'm like, how dare they say that about my friend? But then I'm also like, holy cow, what have I ever said to somebody? Or if I was in, you know, those shoes and I was trying to be there to support Craig and I really didn't think maybe you would speak again, what, like, what advice could you give me? What advice would you go back and say to that nurse in the room that treated you like that? What would you say to them to help them just curb that? Because... You know, I don't think they were being hateful. No, think, not at all. You know, it's just, no. it's that not knowing. So I think sometimes we we don't want to set people up for false expectations. We don't want to set people up for false hope. But if you don't know what to say, just be kind and just listen. Like some people just want to tell you what they're feeling. Like right. that as, you know, as a patient or, or a family member. And some people just need a... A listening ear right so if she would have walked in and said Craig tell me how you're feeling as opposed to being like hey Craig and just filling you full of yeah all like of this. hey Craig you probably need a nanny so your your wife's not probably gonna care for your kids or whatever right, right? like there's and she doesn't know that so just ask questions I guess yeah and so I, I do feel like there's a lot of people that maybe need to listen more mm-hmm. rather than use their voice yeah that's me for sure I mean, no I don't, I don't oh know. yeah for sure there are people that are listening that are like yeah she always jumps in like this is something all the time with Josh and I is he'll be like well I just need you to listen right now don't like don't try and solve the problem for me right don't like just sit there and listen well I think I mean people want connection mm-hmm. people want to be heard we want we want to know that we have some kind of support system. We want to know that we're listened to, valued. Right. Right? That's all we want. Right. My right? piece is I want to save the day. Like nothing yeah. gives me greater joy than even it can be something as simple as somebody struggling with their technology. I love to go in and just help them and save the day. And then yeah. I walk away and that builds me up. That's your identity. <laughs> right. That is mine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. That is definitely... Yeah, I, got, I mean, there's things we need to work on. So what, um, share with everybody a little bit about your, I mean, your whole identity change. Now, what are, you know, three big goals that you have in moving forward? I wish you guys could see Kristen's face. She's like, why wouldn't you like give me this like, prep? <laughs> so three, maybe a personal one and kind of maybe one or two professional ones or vice versa. Okay. Well, I, I have to be better at recognizing when I go for a wreck, to be honest, I'm learning at just like the self discovery thing is like hard. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's my biggest piece of like, so, so stopping, I, stopping the, before you're about to physically crash, recognizing that beforehand and looking after that. Is that what yeah, you Yeah. And just being okay with laying do, in bed for a day. Well, and just being okay with who you are and not, trying to fix things and not trying to get the next job or get the next, I don't know, career move or 
I don't know, whatever is the next thing. Right. Why are we doing, why are we searching for the next thing? Right. And I think that's everyone's thing. Like mm-hmm. there's whatever is your next thing. But I, I do feel like. Pick I, your next thing strategically. Right. Pick. No. I honestly think that I need <laughs> to be okay with just being here at this present moment. Right. And I, I always feel like when I get in a wreck is when I'm searching for the next thing. That's what I feel like. Like I'm always looking like for the next thing or for the next, I don't know. I'm not happy with what I'm doing right now. Right. It's the legacy over resume when I met Kristen. And I don't know when you said this to me, but I mean, I say this to myself all the time. And when, when we present, I'm, I always want to be the one to say it because it to me is so big. But prior to, you know, um, you know, some of the, the hard lessons I've had to learn, I was a resume person. I, that's, I mean, I prided myself on what was the next contest through education I could apply for. What was the next, uh, you know, um, community event I could sign up for and how could I volunteer and, and what, yeah, what were those next things that I could do to, you know, kind of pad up my resume so that I could really be secure with my, you know, my resume. I could be secure and that I had my feet in all these places. So if one of them didn't work out, I would always be okay and uh, yeah, like I always just had to be saying yes. When when we lost um, when we lost Dusty, my brother, I, I remember you know saying to myself like I have to take on as much as I possibly can so I can live because he couldn't anymore. Right. And then it just kind of spiraled. And I mean, it took me years to recognize. Oh, I remember being in that room right after we lost him and thinking that. And then I don't. Th- I, yeah, it was probably five or six years before I recognized. Oh. This is why I am so crazy about saying yes to everything and trying to make sure that I have, you know, everything down on paper and all of these bucket list items. I used to travel for my bucket list, not necessarily travel for the things I actually wanted to. I never, I'd get home and I would be so exhausted because I just had to go, 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 go. I didn't stop and smell the roses, so to speak. So anyways... My rant, which you guys are getting a, a first, um, first-hand look at what it's like when Jesse <laughs> rants, but you taught me to live more for legacy and less for resume. And oh, yeah, there you go. Where did you get that? Um, no, I, I, I think I want to instill in my children that um, we always tell them to go to university. We always tell, and that's me too. Like, remember before I was a perfectionist. Mm-hmm. And why was I a perfectionist? Because when I was a perfectionist, I was really struggling with my body image. I was really struggling with my grades. I was really struggling with how other other people perceived me. Um, but when I die, which I could have very well, like it could have very well happened in the last five years, um, what would they remember of me? Would they remember that I fit into a size whatever jeans? Would they, you know, remember my grade point average? But like, no, I do. I hope that they remembered that I was compassionate and kind and all of the wonderful things about me, rather than swam. me being perfect. Like, right, swam with them in the ocean instead of worried about what you looked like, and yeah. played outside with them instead of was inside getting ready to go somewhere. Exactly. So I do want to instill that in my children, like. I do want them, don't get me wrong, Caleb and Randy, go to university. <laughs> but I do want them to just live for the living, right? Like, just remember that there's a whole life out there to right. explore. And 
and whatever circumstances you face, you can face with grace and dignity and don't worry about that small stuff. Right. So I think that's where I, you know, try to live with, live for legacy after the stroke rather than build the resume and look for certain stuff on paper. Right. Well, and to choose, like, I know that you want this for the boys. I know you want this for youth and children. And I know you want this for every adult that walks the planet. And that is to choose their life and not have their life choose them. That's a big, that was a big thing too. Um, I do feel like there's a lot of family members that didn't choose their life around me. Um, And I didn't realize that I wasn't choosing my life. I mean, obviously nursing that kind of, I just kind of fell in to nursing. Um, But that, other than that, I really lucked out in life. Craig is amazing. My husband is amazing. And I always joke that the universe is, was looking out for me when I was still an asshole. <laughs> um, now I'm making a conscious choice to be nice and kind and whatever. But um, but yeah, I. other than that, I didn't really make a conscious effort in choosing my life. And then I had the stroke and I was like, whoa, this is, I only get one ch- shot at this. And so, yeah, now I choose to do everything or I choose to make a conscious effort into choosing the next step or choosing, choosing. your everything right because yeah. you're not you're not scared to say no no now. no but I'm not scared to say yes either right to you some know. of those challenges to get out of the comfort zone to yeah right. there's so much like this is not my comfort zone yeah it's, just, yeah. it's not so either of ours weird but <laughs> but this is something that we know like we love to sit down with other people who inspire us and that is I think for us Part of what we do to to keep mental wellness for us and that is something that fills us up is sitting down with people and having conversations about how they fill their cup and how you know they show up every day and how they uh you know go through those um yeah, those vulnerable difficult moments times, those those difficult times well and i don't i think that um, nothing changes unless we have meaningful conversations and tough conversations, tough conversations and relationships matter. Mm-hmm. Conversations matter. So I think this is what, why we're doing this, right? Right. This is the best way to spend a day. This is the best way to spend a day. And, and that is, I think really what we're trying to do with my, why we started, you know, putting together some of those videos and those were great and we'll do more of those in the future, yes. but sitting down and, part of what we loved the most was sitting down in people's homes and, and interviewing them. Yes. And then we were just so lucky that Kim uh, Caparel, hey Kim, went out and put together these incredible videos to showcase those great conversations. But this is a mode for us to have those great conversations and be able to share them directly with you guys and, and not have to cut some of them out because, I mean, Jordy's story... So if you haven't seen Jordy's story, we absolutely recommend it. Yes, we, please go to the website and see yeah, Jordy's story. We spent a whole day with with the Harris family and with the Hoyam family, and you know you can't put together a whole video that is, you know, a six hour video. We have yeah. to put it all together. But there's so many other gems. So this is an opportunity for us to have uncut conversation and share that with everybody mm-hmm. else. Yeah, we've got some really incredible people already signed up to come and we're looking forward to sharing that all with you guys yes so exciting i can't wait and well you'll get more uh, bits and pieces of of us and our lives and that through you know conversing with everybody else but yeah thank you so much Kristen, for sharing a little bit about you. you and 
thank you to you, the listener, if you made it this far. We love you. And we've got, like I said, a lot of really great people coming on. So we encourage you to find some time, sit back, relax, and, and hear stories from the people who we truly think are those, those heroes in, in life.